Welcome to Uncorked. Feels like it's been a hot minute since we've jumped on the mic. Lots is happening in our business, in the world, in our lives. I'm glad to be back. It's always exciting to hit record and put something new out into the world. This conversation with Miriam comes as a great delight, truly, because she has been around a little bit longer than I have. And she offers great insight into a changing landscape of both her career and how the world has changed during her time. It's a reminder of how beautiful humans are. And I say that because she is a soul who you hear from and you wouldn't know that she speaks four languages, that her husband speaks multiple languages, that she spends her time trail running and adventuring well beyond her world of being in the media and publication business. And it's just a beautiful reminder to me that we are so much more than our jobs and our jobs have evolved and so have we. So I appreciate Miriam's time for reminding us in the power of change. And I'm really grateful to get back on the mic. I do want to jump in and say that we are coming to the end of 2021. We're committed to throwing out a few more of these conversations for you to marinate on or simply listen to on your commutes before the end of the year and are excited for all things uncorked in 2022. I hope you finish the year strong and enjoy this conversation. This feels like the most perfect segue into beginning the conversation of what has been disrupted in your life in the last 18 months. Outside of the obvious that we know, here we are managing storage on computers and your business has been wildly disrupted. I mean, all of our lives have been. And yet, if I were to say, what three things have you felt the biggest impact in, what would you say? One of them I would say is sort of our son's trajectory towards becoming an independent adult. Like he had, you know, moved out in first year. He was in residence at university at UBCO in Kelowna. Then the following year, he moved in with some roommates in a separate apartment away from campus. And it was like this progression of him becoming his own person and doing what you're supposed to do at 20, right? 19, 20 years old. And then all of a sudden COVID hits, everything goes online and all of those kids are back at home. Right. Right. And so that I thought was an unexpected change because as a parent, you know, I mean, as soon as they're born, they're no longer yours. They start growing, but there are still milestones that you hit throughout. And that was a big one. Like he's always been a really independent kid. And we, I think my husband and I are both not really the helicopter parent type where, you know, we give him a lot of space. And so this felt like, yeah, it's a natural progression. We're going towards, you know, empty nester years and he's expanding his wings and all that. And then all of a sudden, boom, back into the box. Yeah. Yeah. That felt like counterintuitive. It felt weird. It felt Mm -hmm. almost an injustice for those poor kids. Right. I mean, we love having him around, but we want to be around. Right. The question, right. So I think that was a big one. Yeah. 
there's so much to that of like the disruption of the parent and child relationship, the disruption of, as you said, like his journey to becoming more independent of what school is like for him and, and that relationship with being away. Yeah. That was one. I'd say another on a very personal level, an extension of that Mm -hmm. was that as you go towards being an empty nester, you start to reassess sort of where you're at on a Mm -hmm. personal level. So for me, it was not just a career thing, but also just what do I want to do with this extra free time Mm -hmm. with this extra headspace? Because you're no longer trying to check in, you know, is your child okay? And what's coming up next? And where do they need support? You're basically all of a sudden have this window that you knew you were going to eventually get but it's it's there and then you start thinking okay well what do I want to do with this right yeah and then just as you're starting to that process boom you're back into the box so that was also a kind of thing where I had to figure out a space where I could do both yeah right yeah, the end. Sort of have one foot in the past, if you want, and then one foot right. in what may come next. Yeah. Well, those were two. Do you have a third thing, a third disruption? Ah, uh, third disruption. Yeah, being local, like having to be local. Uh, yeah. Not just because I want to, but because I can't leave, <laughs> basically. Right. Like for a yeah. while, we literally could not leave unless it was essential travel. Right. And I love to go and explore. Yeah. And I grew up on the East Coast. So my entire family's in Montreal. So I haven't been able to see them. You know, my niece had kids. I haven't really seen them much. So that has been also a really big change is this idea that I want to hop on a plane, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big one. Absolutely. Well, I bring up disruption. And I said, even before we hit record that we realize it would almost be remiss to not acknowledge that you are in an industry that has also experienced radical change in the last several years. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that, because I think that was on the verge of change prior to the pandemic. I'm sure the pandemic has also impacted things. What has that looked like for you professionally, Miriam? I would say even way before the pandemic, the shift to digital mm. or publications of all kinds, whether it's a newspaper, trade magazines like ours, consumer magazines, was not only a change in the tools that we use to do the job, mm. but I think it was a shift in consumers of information's relationship to the people who produce it. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, because people have access to so much information, Mm -hmm. they no longer necessarily need you to tell them what's going on in their world. And Mm -hmm. particularly, they no longer need you to tell them through what lens to look at the world around them, which Mm -hmm. was the case when I was a kid. You know, you put on the six o'clock news. There was no entertainment shows advertising disruptions you had a voice that was consistent Mm -hmm. it had an angle usually depending on which channel you chose Mm -hmm. and if those were your people that's Mm -hmm. the voice you heard that's the angle on society on whatever was going on that you got Mm -hmm. nowadays people have access to just about 
everything and anything. Mm -hmm. It really makes you hyper aware of both the absence of a set angle that everybody agrees on, Mm. but at the same time, the overuse of angles because there are so many voices Mm-hmm. And that it seems that everybody's trying to skew things their way. Mm-hmm. So as a journalist, as a writer, it's very difficult to then distill all that and mm-hmm. figure out what is the essence of the message you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. What do people need from you? Mm-hmm. What would they trust as a source? Mm. How do they want to consume the information because there is an entertainment element to it. It's just how media has evolved. Mm -hmm. And how can you do all of those things justice without almost distilling to the point of really not having much content, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're, for example, if you were to report on a shooting at a mall, let's say, just because we cover commercial real estate. So let's say at Pork Royal, somebody comes in, and there's a shooting and that person has a certain history that led them to commit that act. How much time do you have to yourself digest the information, Mm. write about it, present it in a way that's gonna stick out so that people see it. Mm -hmm. And in time that they see it before 10,000 people have posted on Facebook, on Twitter, Mm -hmm. on whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge is to Mm -hmm. give yourself enough time to do the work properly, Mm -hmm. but deliver it quickly enough Mm -hmm. that by the time you have it out, it's people haven't already moved on to something else. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that was a massive disruption. Yeah. Yeah. I acknowledge that in a way that I can't actually properly comprehend, you know, it's like, I can understand that. And yet I can't imagine being in the driver's seat as you are to balance the urgency with the thoughtfulness that's required, or perhaps even in some cases, like the education or the digging, the resourcefulness that's required to to understand some of those puzzle pieces. And as you were speaking, I couldn't help but think of geometric shapes and how, you know, once upon a time that six o'clock news was more like a triangle and there may have been sort of three sources. And it was like, are you an isosceles triangle or a right angled triangle? (laughs) And it was three points of view, literally. And now I'm like, I don't even know what geometric shape we are. I don't even know how to fathom all of the angles and all of the different points and how can you be on both sides of the conversation and it feels so noisy and something that I'm really mindful of is it feels like when the shape gets too complex and the noise gets too loud instead of finding ways to cope we just remove ourselves you know we delete the apps we move cities we take ourselves in some respects, like almost out of society because Mm -hmm. it's, it's too much. Mm -hmm. And I hope that maybe it's 2022. I don't know. It might take until 2030 of how do we swing the pendulum back to some sort of digestible state. And it's not about slowing anything down as much as it's, you know, like Marie Kondo, (laughs) the information and come back to a balance point. And I guess I pose that to you from a place of how do you personally exist today 
in a world that is, has become so loud and so fast and is it quality? Yeah, it's a good question. I think right off the bat, it depends on your personality Mm. and not because I'm more able than anybody else, or I have certain skills other people may not have, but fundamentally, I think I don't get overwhelmed very easily Mm. just because I don't necessarily see disruption as something negative Mm. or change as something negative. Like I find I'm curious by nature. Mm -hmm. So if things change, it just makes me more curious about, oh, two, three doors have popped up. I wonder what's behind them, Mm. right? Like that will be my natural instinct. And I think that's why I ended up being really interested in other cultures and other languages, just because I love to try to figure out what makes people tick. Mm. And I find this time that we're in right now, a lot of the veneer is kind of coming off. Mm. We hear a lot of different voices and this has been a long time coming, Mm. right? After so many years of political correctness of, in my opinion, almost artificial way of communicating Mm. and preset, people are saying, you know what, this is actually a way to muzzle people more than it is a way to express, even though there's more noise. I think there's more noise, but there's less true expression of what people want to communicate. Mm. And now it's feeling a little bit scary in that there are voices that seem a bit aggressive, Mm -hmm. that seem confrontational. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, yes, it's coming from a bad place. But I think in other cases, it's just been pent up for so long, Mm. even for people who want to do good in the world, right? They just were quiet and quiet, hoping things would change. But at one point they realized, well, if I don't voice my own opinion, Mm -hmm. nothing's going to change. Because Mm -hmm. if everybody's doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. you just perpetuate this situation where everybody thinks that everybody's nice to each other and, and woke and they're using the right words and they're preventing themselves from using other words that are not supposed to be used, but then nobody's being authentic. Right. Right. And I find the older you get, the more that becomes the important thing. At least for me, it is that the older I get, the more I want things to feel authentic. Yeah. And so it's very easy to weed stuff out. That's just like crazy making. It's kind of like the Tasmanian that kind of waltzes into your life, you know, creates chaos and then waltzes out. Yeah. Well, if you don't let them in in the first place. Yeah. The world doesn't actually have to be chaotic. Right. If you give up, it will become chaotic very quickly. Yeah. But yeah. I think it can weed a lot of that out. Well said. At least that's you know, how I feel. No, no, it's so excellent because what I was recognizing in listening to you was that there is indeed a negativity bias. And even I approached it in such a way, you know, it's too much and it's too noisy. And what I love is that you have really added a positive spin on it. You have offered that there is an opportunity for positivity and groundedness. And I mean, if the most positive of all is authenticity, then yes, may this be the era, the dawn of our most authentic selves. And I have to ask beyond work, Mm -hmm beyond with your child at home or not, do you even call a 20 year old a child? I guess he will forever be your child. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I wonder what you do to fill your cup. 
what do you do to find inspiration, to stay curious and, and to look out and see positive opportunities or through a positive lens? What does that look like for you personally, Miriam? Um, I read a lot. Oh, I, what love, do you I love books of all kinds. I'm, I'm usually found reading two, three books at a time. <laughs> to me, reading is a little bit like other people listening to music. So, oh. you know, like if you're cooking, you might be in the mood for something upbeat. If you're trying to relax after a stressful day, you may put classical music. Well, I'm the same with reading. That some days I have the energy to tackle something that's a little bit more difficult. And then other days, I just want a good story that's a page turner. So that's one way I look for inspiration because it's at the end of the day, it's just stories about people. Yeah. Right. Different angles, authors from other countries with a different path than mine. Yeah. So that's one way I do it. I recharge out in nature a lot. Mm. Um, I love trail running for that. I think that's mm-hmm. my, my go-to. Yeah. You know, whether it's in a group, I've got a very good group of friends. It started out as a, a little running group mm-hmm. and then it became a running group slash book club. And then it became a running group slash book club slash wine club. (laughs) And then we've gone on a few trips together. And so it's become this little family that has been great because we all have that same type of openness. Mm. And so I feel that we're all growing through our activities together. Cool. So I do that. I love art, just public art. Mm. whether it's outside or going to galleries consuming art in various forms is probably where I recharge yeah thrive that's a beautiful thing you mentioned an opportunity or requirement to stay local and you also mentioned you know authors from other countries or art from I'm sure from elsewhere Mm -hmm. how have you found staying local and still satiating your desire for everything the world has to offer Like I said, like a lot of it is through reading. Sometimes I'll look for documentaries that are Mm -hmm. about other places. One thing that I did do at the beginning of the pandemic is I thought, you know, maybe it's a good time for me to work on some of the languages that I had. And one of them was Spanish. And when I was in school, we had to take a third language for at least three years of high school. And then I ended up continuing on through grade 12. So by the end of it, I was quite fluent in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And then just life happened and I moved on to other things and didn't really use it that much. And I thought, you know, it's probably a good time to get it back. It's something to do that's different. And so I just started watching Netflix shows and with subtitles until I no longer needed the subtitles and I started reading again and it was great it was really fun yeah and now are you fluent in Spanish pretty much (laughs) and so is this French English and Spanish for you got that I've got German too German okay and then I used to be in Italian but I've lost it pretty much I'd have to do the same exercise that I did with Spanish and really dedicate myself to doing that. That's amazing. I speak English barely and I'm in (laughs) awe of people that can speak so many languages. But you know what? The thing is, I think if there was one 
research project I'd love to see. It would be what ties all languages of the world. Like there must be something fundamental that ties them because it's true that the more languages you know, the easier it is to learn more. Yes. For sure. Yes. I, well, this is a secret. I studied Latin in my first two years of university thinking I might go to medical school and Latin felt appropriate. Latin helped me understand so much of what I want to say is the English language. And yet I don't see it tied to many other languages in the same way. And in fact, Latin almost helped me understand chemistry in a different way. And so of course it's all so wildly connected. I just found Asian dialects feel like something that- That is a completely different thing. A completely different beast. But interestingly enough on that point, we also had to take like three years of Latin at school. Okay. And that is what helped me learn German because- The grammar is carbon copy. It's exactly the same. The sentences are structured the same. So it made me understand that grammar easier. And my husband, who is German, often laughs that I can explain a rule better than he can because Mm. he knows it instinctively. Right. Right. As we all do with our mother tongues. But then I could actually explain it because it's very similar. Right. That's right. interesting. Yeah. And then French, Spanish, they're all Latin languages. Yes. So that's an easy yeah. one. But with Asian language, that is different. Yeah. And we actually sent our son to the local Mandarin school when he was little. Yeah. As Erin did with her daughter, Tanner. Yeah. We started them together. And we just said, you know what? You're, we're on the West Coast. It's a very prevalent culture. Yeah. We're at the doorway to Asia, it's yeah. part of your education. <laughs> so they kicked and screamed and still to this day, it's kind of like, uh, we like that you made us do it, but we kind of resent you too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of effort and absolutely, it was a lot of years, but yeah. for me, it wasn't even a performance thing. Like I didn't need him to put it on his resume. I'm not sure he'll use it for work. But it was very important to introduce him to the culture from the perspective of somebody who's actually from the culture, as opposed to assuming that he knows what a Chinese culture is because he's seen reports on the news or he's seen something in a magazine. Well, that's all going to be Western lens anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So just for that exercise, I think it was worth it because you get to know a lot about a culture if you understand the the language language absolutely you know like the the humor how things are phrased which words are important where they put the emphasis how they structure phrases all that stuff tells you a lot about people absolutely we have time for two more questions yeah this one feels important because someone who is in your place in life that has seen so many iterations, you've seen a 20 year old grow up. I want to know what your wish is for the generation that is entering the workforce. Now you mentioned, you know, needing a language, whether it's for your resume or not, and you understand what 
what it has been to make moves that quote unquote, look good on a resume or that have nothing to do with a resume. Yet I'm wondering from your perspective here in life now, what is your wish for people that are entering the workforce? A couple of things. One, that they will have access to mentors. Because I think very often, you know, we look at their resumes, we see what, how they've been trained, and then we expect them to perform. But we forget that there's a lot of human growth that's happening as they enter a workforce, and it's a lot of new things. And I think to have people who understand that as part of an older generation, like part of your responsibility is really to act as a custodian for people who are coming next. And Mm -hmm. so if they can find mentors that will take the time to help them along, not just to help them along in a specific way, but help them grow in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. That is the first thing I think that I would wish for them. Another would be for them to have the ability to hope for things Mm -hmm. without being told whether it's reasonable or not, (laughs) right? We hear a lot of, oh, it's things are so hard nowadays and they do this and they do that. But, you know, yes, times change and our technology changes, but a six-year-old is a six-year-old, right? A 12-year-old is a 12-year-old. And those things I think are constants. Yeah. Environment changes, the tools we use change, but fundamentally, I think things don't change that much. Mm. And so for them to be able to imagine things beyond what's here and now, Mm. I would hope that for them. What else? I guess authenticity would be the last one. Mm. And I actually think that Gen Zers are pretty good at that. Like they're, they're fighting back. (laughs) They're fighting back. They're finding their own voices. They're yes, they are using social media, but I think more and more they're realizing that those are tools that they can control as opposed to the tool determining what they should be. Yeah. Right. So an authentic life, yeah, is probably the biggest wish I would have for them. Amazing. That mm-hmm. is so powerful because I think that every generation needs to hang on to hope. And I often speak about how something happens, and I don't know if it's internally or externally, that it almost feels like with the rite of passage to adulthood, we can lose the ability to dream. Mm-hmm. And my wish is that we don't do that, you know, whatever your age, if you're six, if you're 12, if you're 62 or 22, it must be the hope to hang on to a dream or really, and truly like, how can we be custodians for who will come next? Because our wild dreams are what will pave the way. And I think that, yeah, that is that's a well good way to put it. Well, I could be a journalist for 30 (laughs) seconds on a podcast and that's it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We wrap every podcast with the same question. And that is what is making your heart beat faster? Literally, proverbially, what are you elevated about right now? I would say what's getting me excited is this idea that I think we're heading towards a time of more honest communication. Mm. and I'm seeing it happen on so many different levels. And I'm hoping that that will appear in every sphere, you know, Mm. whether it's 
how companies relate to their employees, how corporations communicate with their customers, how governments talk to citizens, how citizens talk to each other, that we start to allow people to say what they really mean mm. and make it okay to not say it perfectly mm. or the perfectly the first time, mm-hmm. right? Like I think sometimes we're a bit too quick or we pour intent into the way people say things. And it may be true or it may be not, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping that we're entering an era where we'll take the time to think about what we're saying, how mm-hmm. we say it, and what's the purpose of the communication, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just talking at people or are you actually trying to make a connection, mm-hmm. regardless of where that connection is occurring. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that's where we're heading. I think it is. Yeah. I could see it bubbling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, bubbling on purpose, not speaking to ourselves and here to be a contribution. It feels so important. And I think we're so lucky that you've been at the forefront of this. And I'm grateful for the time to connect with you through a lens that is hopeful and through a lens that will be different. And it's really refreshing to connect with someone like yourself that doesn't wish for everything to stay the same. And you don't wish for everyone to stay the same. Mm -hmm. And with that comes great change. And so I've said for the last several years that our ability to metabolize change is what will allow us to be of greatest contribution. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. Here we are. I would agree with that. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation. Uh, It was so great. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm excited to follow the journey of the wild woman with multiple languages <laughs> and a sun fleeing. Well, it, it's, it's coming to a more formal way pretty soon. I'm working on a little podcast idea. Beautiful. Very much about that, about honest communication, mindful communication, but honest. Beautiful. And so I'll tell you more when that happens. Please do. Keep us posted. Great. Thank you. Thank you.